I'm your host Flavia and this week's episode we are focusing on climate activism, particularly the youth activism movement in Northern Ireland. To start off we're speaking to Kay Laverty, she's a young climate activist which has been heavily involved with the Northern Ireland branch of Fridays for Future. She's going to tell us a little bit more about her experience of climate activism, her views on the two climate bills and some other policies, and the role that youth activism has played in shaping and maybe even driving political action right here in Northern Ireland. To end the show, we're taking a look back at the Fridays for Future protest which took place on the 24th of September. Our very own Ema Smith was at the protest and had a chance to interview some of the protesters, and you can hear what they had to say at the end of the episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for listening. So with me today, I've got Kay, who's an activist for Fridays for Future Northern Ireland. Welcome to the podcast, Kay. Thank you very much for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. No worries. Um, so really interested to speak to you because obviously, like I said, you're involved with Fridays for Future Northern Ireland, which is a movement that's been gaining momentum globally and also quite locally in Northern Ireland, like you guys and your protests have actually turned out some real tangible results. Um, but for you personally and individually, I'm interested in sort of, it, was there a turning point for you where you sort of became acutely aware of the climate crisis and the issues that we're facing and where you sort of thought, right, like, I need to get involved, I need to do something? Mm-hmm. Was there like a moment that you can pinpoint? Ooh, well, um, I first sort of became aware of the climate crisis when I began just sort of like tuning into the news and seeing what was happening outside of just like Northern Ireland. Um and I guess everyone sort of like half knows about the climate crisis. And, you know, I was in that boat as well, definitely until a few years ago. Uh, it was definitely sort of a gradual process because it took a bit of confidence to actually stick out my neck and get involved and just show up. But um, yeah, I guess I also had done like quite a lot of reading into the topic as well. Um, but yeah, from there, I sort of started showing up to the very informal Friday for Futures weekly protests and then just like made friends and networked from there. And I really loved working with the sort of local um, NGOs that there are here. They're like really supportive of the skill strike. And yeah, happily I've been able to stay in that sort of position and that role in youth activism in Northern Ireland. Yeah, because I think the Fridays for Future movement in Northern Ireland particularly is quite interesting Mm -hmm. because it started quite small. I mean, there was very few of you at first. And I mean, now we're talking about you have that global Friday for Futures protest that was Mm -hmm. about three weeks ago now. And that had quite a phenomenal turnout. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that protest? Yeah, definitely. So we weren't really sure how good the turnout would be um, at the global strike because we know people are still very nervous about COVID. And like, of course, that's that's completely understandable. Uh, But back in 2019, we were able to get about 7,000 people out in the street, which was really massive for us. Uh, But of course, COVID has definitely affected activism participation. And that goes the same for just even members of the activist community having to work extra hours because of COVID. They might have lost their jobs or, yeah, things like that. Like activism has seen a drop in people getting involved. Um, but yeah, I guess we were, we were sort of surprised. We got a pretty good turnout for the uh, global strike a few weeks ago, maybe like a hundred people or so. Um, 
but yeah, um, it was it was really good. And um, we hope to see more people at future protests as like more people are getting vaccinated and mm. people are feeling a little bit less like unsafe out in public. Yeah, I think like it's it's obviously it's a really good turnout given the circumstances which is exactly yeah, what you just pointed yeah. out like given the fact that we are literally just coming out of a global pandemic people are still a little mm-hmm. bit nervous about being in big crowds I'd say you guys should be quite proud of yourselves because that that was a pretty big turnout um right in the city center for you know literally just the tail end yeah, of the pandemic yeah. um do you think then that like you were saying that it sort of the climate movement sort of started to gain quite a bit of traction in the last sort of few years, especially pre-pandemic and during the pandemic as well. We've seen quite a lot of demonstrations and stuff taking place. But do you think that there's a growing sort of public awareness of the issue and, and, and an interest in the issue? Well, I think people are certainly more interested in climate change and the topic as a whole, just due to hearing it about like on the news or being affected by it directly, like the flooding in Belfast in like more working class areas is just like devastating and it does affect people's lives. Um, and this, but this doesn't necessarily directly translate into a bigger headcount at protests. Mm. Um, but it does mean that protests turn more heads and it, it does get them more attention and people will, yeah, stop and stare at us for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hopefully with the, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a juxtaposition, but hopefully with the escalating nature of the climate crisis, more people will be willing to dedicate time to joining in with these causes and trying to help out people who, who who do need help and I mean it is fundamentally climate change is a class issue um, and we can see that in Northern Ireland through mm. the flood maps and so on it is going to affect poor people first and we can't ignore that so no. I think it's important to for us to keep going keep on trying to get as much momentum as we can behind this issue because it is a political one and it does need sorted no definitely I think you're absolutely right with that but there are like I mean I guess what I've sort of noticed over the last few years is that protests like that do tend to get a lot more sympathetic press coverage as well um Mm -hmm. media organizations tend to be a bit more sympathetic to the cause they tend to be a bit more sympathetic towards people that you know standing out on street corners making a bit of noise like you said turning some heads and that goes a long way towards spreading the message do you think well, I mean, when we first started out the protests, I, I we got basically, I remember, so the very first protest, we got called out by the sun for a misspelling on our sign. <laughs> they didn't like us very much. Um, and I know people still do find us uh, quite annoying, especially the local street musicians when we bring <laughs> out the microphone. Uh, yeah, we are sorry about that. But I mean, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to get people's attention. Um, I mean... I guess, yes. I mean, recently, I think the press has been able to be a little bit more sympathetic just because it's been on the news more and stuff, but it definitely always hasn't been like that. And even the attitudes of schools towards people uh, attending school strikes, like, thankfully, I'm in uni now, so I don't have to deal with that extra stress. But I remember I would get in trouble quite a lot for even attending the school strikes. Um, So there'd be a general sort of like, uh, disapproval of that um and you'd see that with people walking past as well but yeah I think recently especially with COVID where that sort of very structural education setup where you attend class five days a week because that's been broken up quite a lot I think people are maybe a little bit more forgiving when it mm. comes to that I think um 
but yeah we did get quite a lot of school kids um, at the global strike and that was really good to see and I think the media picked up on that as well um, so yeah I think uh, the media doesn't always like us but I think it's going in the right direction and I think with the growing seriousness of the climate crisis we will be taken more seriously yeah I think the media question is also quite interesting because it obviously depends what spectrum of the media you're talking about because oh yeah definitely I think the day that the sun puts out a piece of coverage that looks upon any climate protest in a completely beneficial mm-hmm. light I will be very 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 <laughs> yeah, that surprised is, that is true um, that was just the standout moment we were quite proud of that one actually. I mean you <laughs> actually got them to notice which is exactly, is, exactly. Is quite the achievement but I think you also made a really another really good interesting point that actually the Fridays for Future movement the perception of it has changed over time because I remember when Greta Thunberg first came out because that's you know how mm-hmm. she first sort of came to attention was because she basically started it and I remember the debate at first wasn't even about climate crisis and what exactly it was she was campaigning for I remember on in the media the debate was should a child of that age be allowed to skip a Friday mm-hmm. every Friday from school and it's just that almost defeated the point of what she was trying to do but slowly <laughs> it sort of moved in the right direction I think but at first it it was it was astounding it's like yes someone's skipping every Friday off school to protest an issue that's really dear mm-hmm. to them and we're actually what we're doing is we're questioning whether she should even be doing that yeah and it's it's such a conflicting message because you have like I remember like when when you're bombarded with that message so much as well and that amount of disapproval from the people who are grading your papers um it it, it, it can be very very stressful and like quite a lot of a burden on your mental health because ego anxiety is a real thing amongst young people um and yeah it does affect our mental health and being able to express that through activism being able to kind of have an outlet or a place where other people in like the similar sort of mindset are like that that is so helpful and the sort of active disapproval disapproval of that sorry um I think that's really damaging actually and that Mm. attitude in general within schools and the education system it is it is damaging no I think I think you're right and it's because one of the things that you said early on when we talked about when you first became involved with climate activism is that you said it took a bit of courage to actually get out there and do it and that kind of message I suppose doesn't really help with other young people that want to get involved but but Mm -hmm. having said that I mean the youth movement generally in terms of climate protesting has done so much because we do see a lot of stuff coming out and I would suggest that actually a lot of the responses we're seeing from politicians worldwide and even right here in Northern Ireland is in big part a direct result of all the activism that young people around the world and in Northern Ireland have engaged in would you would you say that's fair? and now I'm not saying and I'm not like yeah you know I know yeah I'm not overselling (laughs) what politicians are doing because I'm aware that that there's scope but I think even the fact that it's on the table as a nice nice political debate um you know we owe that a lot to the young people who actually took time off school to protest yeah and I think then you also have the aspect of the actual like genuine scientific basis that um, the climate crisis is like presented to politicians like in that way like this is science this is real life and I guess it is just disappointing that it takes a bunch of kids with placards to get them to like wise up to that but I mean um let's say for like Northern Irish politicians yeah they did great they did amazing it's the, the best that I've seen so far um like believing in science <laughs> but um 
yeah no I think Friday for Futures has played a massive role uh you see in like even like other countries like in Germany or Sweden like uh youth activists are given a little bit more media attention than I would say they are here that's also to do with just the amount of people that we have in this country that are actually involved in activism which is not as much but yeah all over the world Friday for Futures has had an impact on how seriously people take the climate crisis and when they see people getting angry about it and when we are able to get out in the streets and make our voices heard um people pick up on that and I think the politicians are coming around to it eventually Slowly, kind of. Slowly, but kind of getting there. Because I, <laughs> I guess that kind of brings me on to um, the next bit I wanted to talk about is that um, <laughs> Northern Ireland Assembly has made some strides. I mean, it declared a climate emergency a couple of years ago, so it recognised that. Oh, nice guys. <laughs> so it Sorry, I just I can't take it seriously at all. It's just oh. No, and I can't. I do agree with you to an extent because I think that the. I think whilst it's important for organisations and um, national governments to declare a climate emergency, I think the act of declaring a climate emergency is almost like an empty act because, it, you know, it, the issue is there and you declaring a climate emergency isn't almost the right thing to do. Actually, what you should be declaring yeah. is that you need, you need to do something, which isn't exactly the same thing. But anyways, so they did do that. So they're recognising the science, which, you know, as you alluded to, hasn't always been the case. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also now two bills that are going through Stormont. Um, and without kind of getting into the details, because it's all a bit complicated and it's all a bit up in the air in between the two yeah, climate bills, um, th- it's moving in the right direction, isn't it? I mean, th- there's obviously some political will there. There's some tangible political action there. Does, does that make you feel positive? Do you, do you feel a little bit proud of that, given your involvement in Fridays for Future as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a, I would say, um, acquaintance of Claire Bailey, and I really admire her work, her climate bill has proved very popular uh, within other parties that are not the DUP in Stormont. Uh, <laughs> so I think she's been able to sort of put forward that like correct climate bill in the right way. Um, and yeah, it, it does, it does make me feel a little bit relieved, I guess. Um, but again, of course, putting that climate bill into action is like, it's such a big ask and we've seen with the history of Northern Irish politics when it comes to um, environmentalism with things like the RHI scandal and so on which basically left Stormont in a standstill Mm. Um, I think it's it can be easy to get maybe a little bit over optimistic about these things even when it has the very best will in the world but I think I'm or I think sorry I think Claire Bailey has a good grasp on the urgency of the um, climate crisis so I'm hoping that her bill will be able to stand up to that in Stormont. Quietly revealed your bias there as to which bill you're supporting. (laughs) No me bias (laughs) never. No but I absolutely take your point and and I think that that's one of the things that um we have to be cautious about is that the political um, reality here in Northern Ireland is it's quite fragile and we can't ever get too optimistic. I mean, it's a good step in the right direction, I think, that it's there mm-hmm. and it's up for debate and, it, and it's, you know, formally being tabled and discussed and it's encouraging that one of the bills has cross-party support as well. But it's it's probably just another beginning, isn't it? It's, it's a move in the right direction, but it's the beginning of a long road. That's what it feels like for 
I think people who like know about this, but for politicians, I think there's almost a inclination to give themselves a pat on the back mm. because it's like, ah, oh, yes, we did the thing. We declared the other thing and everything is great. Now, can you please leave us alone? Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's honestly just a game of like waiting to see what will happen. Um, uh, I don't think climate activism is ever gonna go away in that respect because uh, I'm not sure if you have a system that is already based on like sectarianism, neoliberal capitalism and like all of these ground roots that have brought us to this position in the first place of being in a climate crisis um, in a sort of politically um what would we say preoccupied state we have like the sectarianism we have here that's how our entire legislative board is made up like that that is why we have um the sort of coalition government ish um and that is always going to be a centerpiece in the focus of our politics and i think that is being made clear through yeah. sort of like put's leadership in the dep uh but yeah, as I said, like Claire Bailey, I think is a ray of hope in amongst that, maybe. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I think if, if that's how you perceive it, then obviously she is a ray of hope for you and probably many others like you. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So it's, it's at least, I suppose, comforting to see that there is someone out there who is willing to represent interests of people like you, despite um, the tricky political field that is. Mm-hmm. Which has to be taken into account, too. Like, to, yeah. like, but at the same time like if everyone's dead you can't fight with each other if that makes <laughs> it's a little bit blunt but it's like yeah there are bigger things that I think actually have the potential to like bring cross community relationships into play where people working together for the greater good but yeah no, and that's actually uh, really interesting because I spoke to James Orr from Friends of the Earth couple of weeks ago now yeah he's amazing he's such a babe um but he was sort of talking about the climate murals and we were kind of talking about using climate murals murals for non-sectarian purposes and actually to Mm -hmm. and and his perspective on it was brilliant actually he was kind of talking about you know as a climate mural is a way to sort of demarcate territory but in a non-sectarian way and to kind of highlighting that this is a planet that we kind of all inhabit and that actually to kind of get to a place that you need to get to you need to sort of look beyond those usual territorial demarcations and kind of just look Mm -hmm. at it as one planet that's going to need everyone to work together but anyways that's that's a complete sidebar yeah Um, speaking of like politicians and sort of political action um on climate change that there was a, an interesting piece of I don't think you can call it legislation but I think we can call it an initiative that the DP and, mm-hmm. and Edwin puts Poots's department in particular was championing which was <laughs> and I thought this was quite interesting it was a climate literacy program for school-aged children which I believe um Queen's University is also adhered to so it's it's now I suppose fair to say that it's a climate literacy program for young people as a mm-hmm. young person who was heavily involved in activism and who is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm very aware of the climate crisis and and all the issues that encompass it what what do you what are your thoughts on this um initiative <laughs> i love how we're both laughing a little bit um yeah. personally i find it hard to take put seriously when it comes to this target of improving climate literacy amongst young people uh him and the rest of the dp are opposed to claire bailey's climate bill which has been supported widely in Stormont. 
Poots had originally set out his own climate bill, which just wasn't up to scratch. It originally aimed for 82% reduction in emissions in Northern Ireland by 2050. But unfortunately, by then, most of central Belfast would be underwater because of sea level rise. So um, I'm not really sure if that's going to do much good. I, basically, Poots and his party are not serious enough when it comes to climate legislation. And I don't think any amount of, quote unquote, youth education can count if it's coming from a politician who doesn't show an adequate level of concern when it comes to the climate crisis. Um, Mr. Poots has acknowledged time and time again that the agriculture food sector uh, is Northern Ireland's biggest emitter, yet he still wants to intensify food production here um, in the future. I think we have the right bill in place, but not the right leaders. And Poots's stance in his new climate bill shows that he has no place to be trying to tell people how to mitigate the climate emergency when he's literally supporting the I don't know what would you say the fire of it what's causing it mm. I suppose like I they, those are all really excellent points because I kind of just looked at it as a greenwashing policy you know something just kind of deflect attention greenwashing was another thing yeah yeah like look at us we're, we're definitely doing something we're so concerned about climate change and they're mm. almost targeting the group in society that's less likely to kind of pipe up and go we don't need to be told this, which is primary school children. But um, yeah. realistically, the people, in my opinion, I don't know if you agree, but they need to be educated on climate crisis and climate issues on primary school age children. They're the adults that don't quite believe the climate science and who are in a position to actually do something about it. But yeah, that's just my I think, view. Definitely. And I think that's a really good point um, because talking to people who are older who are involved with the climate movement or even just like observing the climate movement you get a little bit of resentment because there is of course the overlying statement like the the climate crisis is the product of the industrial revolution and then the intensified industrial revolution of the past like 50 years or so and I think people who are maybe like baby boomers or like even a bit younger than that may feel sort of like they're getting a finger pointed at them about like the climate crisis um, because it is a system like this sort of form of uh, Western capitalism that we have is so ingrained in everyone's worth, work ethic and like lifestyles that it can be very, very difficult for them to maybe accept that the climate crisis is an urgent issue. Um, there's this really good quote, but it's from like one of my favorite movies. Um, what is it called? It was like, basically people are destined or really, really want to outlive their problems as opposed to deal with them. Mm. Um, I think that's a really big issue because people don't see it as a urgent enough thing. Like, oh, it might like something like you see uh, these climate commitments that are so far in the future. Like, oh, that's what like, 30 years away like I don't really care like the, what is that what is that going to make a difference like I'm not going to be alive then I think these like long-term um targets can seem very distant to the older generation whereas I'd be sitting here like trying to count up okay what age will I be in that year okay am I gonna want to have kids by then like well I, is that like okay like you know um whereas older generations probably like won't think like that um and um, yeah I think there's a, there's a lot of anger there so no I think you're right and I think the intergenerational sort of antagonism that exists when you start talking mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. climate issues it also exists within classes and everything and I think you're absolutely right it's very much a cultural issue it's like a lot of these practices and habits that we've got are so deeply embedded that 
actually beginning to change them so that you can start making the more radical changes quickly it is a very challenging thing to do and with that in mind I would actually ask you and this is a hard one I, I appreciate it's a hard one but <laughs> what would be from your experience so far everything that you've come across everything that you know right now what would be the single biggest thing that if you could change right away mm-hmm. what, what would be the single biggest change you would make or would like to see made um are we talking like in like like the ideal sense like what I really really wish would happen but probably yes. isn't gonna happen no yes like let's um, go ideal sense I want to go think big, go big no here. boundaries right here. literally just global cooperation sort of reformation of the UN and trying to get everyone to actually put their heads together and for events like COP26 to be taken seriously Mm. and to not be involved with like fossil fuel industries in that respect um I think it's really funny I've seen a couple campaigns uh, running like sponsored by BP about climate education and so on and yeah Something like that just makes me angry <laughs> you know um yeah so that, that's that's sort of my view no I think that that probably global cooperation or just general actual efforts of cooperation between people would probably be an excellent place to start um so I think that's a really yeah and even idea. if that need yeah like an independent body to be able to monitor it and hold it to account like that is the one thing because you were if you work on such a big scale as like global politics you can't like hold anyone really account unless you want to start imposing like I don't know like trade walls or something like there's but there's no like real incentive to do that because you need that global cooperation in the first place to be able to run the capitalism and the markets that we've already set up so yeah I think (laughs) it's just yeah it's it's a funny one but global cooperation is at the heart of it and being able to get everyone on the same page despite different like societal formations and different views and everything like it is a species effort that is needed yeah. to tackle this crisis and that won't be achieved unless we can do that unless we can get people to agree on certain basic facts and certain yeah, basic requirements like imagine no it's a, it's a really good point and it's probably an excellent an excellent place to start and um, before I let you go um obviously you're heavily involved in activism and, pro- and protest for Fridays for Future and you've got a good sense of what's kind of going on generally within the climate activism community in Northern Ireland what's coming up how do people can get involved obviously COP26 in about three weeks or so um yeah. how can people get involved so um well I mean in general we still carry out the weekly school strikes at Corn Market and that's um, people from like Waikani and Fright for Futures but people can also just randomly join in if they want to Um, but also another date to maybe uh, keep up with is the 6th of November so COP will be running from the 1st to the 14th of November but on the 6th there's going to be a I think it's an event held in probably Belfast uh, centered around COP26 uh, probably some sort of protest but I would keep up to date with the Youth Climate Association Northern Ireland Instagram for more um, information on that because it's not being formally set up by FFF. So I'm not entirely sure, but it's definitely that date. (laughs) So So keep an eye out on that Instagram page, basically, if it's something Mm -hmm. that you're interested in. No, definitely. Um, Listen, it's been super interesting to have you on. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank Thank you for sharing all your views and your experience of activism.
Hello there, so Emer here doing something a bit different from the usual good eco news. Um, following along from this week's theme of climate protests, strikes and Fridays for Future, the next few segments are a couple of interviews I recorded at the global climate strike that happened on the 24th of September in Core Market in Belfast. So it was the first, um, one of the first global climate strikes to happen since the COVID-19 restrictions. Um, but there have been people such as the organisers Anna and Kay who have been striking for Fridays for Future during COVID-19 also. Um, so Core Market is one of the few places in Northern Ireland where insurance isn't needed for protests um, so it is, it's a handy location and is pretty accessible to a lot of those around Belfast so here's a quick clip um, or a quick chat I had with Anna and Kay on the day so we're down at the climate strike today and if you just want to introduce yourselves these are two of the organizers is that right yeah uh, yeah I'm Kay Laverty I'm yep. Anna Kernahan and so how did it today come about is this this is something that's been kind of ongoing um, but then got stopped by COVID is that right well, it was still going on with COVID. Yeah. It was just in a different capacity. A different capacity. Yeah, yeah. For, for a while it was just sort yeah. of us, but now that COVID restrictions have like eased and it's safer to go back out and protest. We're, yeah, it's a global strike today, so mm-hmm. that's why I think more people are out. And yeah, it's been really good. I think it yeah. worked quite well. No, it is. It's been lovely to come down because like there's been nothing. I feel anyways that like I haven't seen anything like this yeah. um, like for like a year and a half at least. Um, so no, it's brilliant. Well done. Um, are you happy with the turnout? Yeah, very yeah. much. So it was really good. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And how did you come about to like organising it and like what got you into it? I guess or <laughs> like has there been a process or caffeine <laughs> well, and a lot of stress? And there's a climate and ecological emergency. There is. Yes, there is. Yeah. So it's existential dread, I guess. Anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, yeah. I know there's a lot of... I was sitting in class today and we were um, chatting about it, like eco-anxiety and everything else as well. So, like, it is, it's so... There's so much of it. But, no, it's brilliant. Um, well done and thank you for organising it as well. It's been brilliant. So next up, I had a really enlightening talk with Diane Little, who's an avid campaigner on a petroleum licensing bill, PLA1 forward slash 16, that is due to come up in Stormont in the next few weeks. Diane spoke at the protest on the issue and called out political parties and the climate bills, which interestingly enough, there is no mention of petroleum licensing in the climate bills, despite the general goals of decreasing carbon by 2030, rather than investing in it. It's also a local environmental issue in terms of drinking water and habitats, but also a health issue in terms of population health due to um, complications around the the processing of petroleum licensing and petroleum exploration and um, extraction. So we're here today down at the climate strike and we have, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Diane Little and um, I have come up from Fermanagh where we have been fighting against the oil and gas industry for um, around 10 years. You know, lots and lots of different groups here with us and in Leitrim. We're very familiar with this industry and we just have a massive problem um, because um, we're one area but what people are not aware of is petroleum license application number PLA1 forward slash 16 and you know we need people to look at that area because it's right coming across all half of Belfast right down to Lisburn across to Craigavon, down to Armagh, right over including Dungannon, up to Cookstown. And that's like all the Belfast drinking water and everything. And that's the oil and gas industry coming in. And it's a, it's a very 
serious issue because you know it's coal seam up here so that extraction is particularly nasty um, but the only time to stop it is actually now this industry is very clever um, and while you're all worried about COP and everything else like that actually within the next 10 weeks the Department of Economy are bringing forward um, revised policy options for petroleum licensing and that has been developed on the basis of a research report where they brought in consultants in oil and gas um, to, to review their policy. And what the problem is with that is that um, that policy, we know that both the Department of Economy and Hatch, when they did the Welsh report for the Welsh Government, both said that the risks from oil and gas could be mitigated and it could be made safe through regulation. Um, there's no evidence for that, but um, we, we would really urge people to look at the Irish Centre for Human Rights, NUI Galway, came and did a report for us and um, they looked at the impacts of fracking. Now we call it fracking, but um, it's actually all the, the unconventional oil and gas extraction. And um, basically that report will detail exactly the, 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 what the impacts are in terms of the health, it's horrific health impacts from cancer to especially actually worse for women and women's reproductive health and um, unborn babies um, horrifically. Um, you know, the, the evidence is all there. And then um, the right to clean air, clean water, the right to food, right to housing, the right to information, etc. And we cannot get this hatch research, even though we were stakeholders and we put a lot of work into it, um, the Department of Economy are refusing to give us that. So that's like under Aarhus and everything, it actually affects our, our human rights to you know, Definitely. to information. Yeah, you think there would be a little bit of information um, leeway there and what you should be like allowed to see and everything else? Because yeah. that's a very big area too. I'm looking at the map here um, and it is, that's a giant area that's going to affect a lot of people. Um, so what kind of would be like, I guess, the main effects of that? Um, because I think a lot of our listeners wouldn't be like, wouldn't quite know what it would be. But even I myself, I'm just learning about this today and the fact that this is like happening, um, which is really bad because like the whole point, I guess, of this is so that there's no petrol coming out of the ground, but it also has all these other environmental health impacts as well. Um, so just like, um, I guess, like direct impacts um, that might happen. Yeah, it's, um, it's, you don't see it in straight away. It, um, it like when you do, somebody develops thyroid cancer, I mean, there's a massive increase in thyroid cancer and that takes years to emerge. Do you know, it's, um, it takes a while for it to be connected and evidence to be the gas, but the reality is that we have communities that we're networked with in Pennsylvania, in New York and Canada, where this industry is happening like that, close to homes where it's like a high level, you know, the density, the housing density is high and it's, it's inappropriate, it's unconventional oil and gas extraction and, um, and that's the reality, but the only time to stop it is actually now. And, you know, the reality is that Sinn Féin and SDLP both promised to bring a fracking ban. It never happened, and we don't believe Sinn Féin are even going to get it through in this mandate. There isn't enough time now. And, you know, that leaves us wide open. There's a fracking ban in Scotland, in Wales, in England, and in South of Ireland, because our government is so weak here, and because of the mandatory coalition. So in, that, in this situation, you know, um, the reality is the Deputy First Minister uh, controls the agenda. So th this policy is going to be brought before the executive within the next 10 weeks. So when that happens, Michelle O'Neill has the opportunity to stop it coming onto the agenda because we know that it's not going to be good because of who did the research. I mean, if you want to look at this, the first thing you should be doing is a health impact. You can't even do that in COVID because it requires community participation. 
they aren't even qualified and the tender for that research didn't even require them to be qualified. So we've got like a multitude of level of problems, but what it comes down to is everybody needs to put massive pressure right now on Michelle O'Neill and members in the executive of Sinn Féin who have enough votes there to basically stop it, block it, and reverse it and create a ban on petroleum licensing because the evidence is there in IPCC. The United Nations, mm -hmm. United Nations Secretary General is very clear. Um, keep it in the ground. You know, um, it has to be a death knell for the fossil fuel industry. But because of our government here and because people are so distracted with co even COP and everything else like that right now, COVID, Brexit, um, the oil and gas industry are, are becoming unstoppable and that's happening now. And, and, the, and the Department of Economy bringing it forward now within the next 10 weeks. Yeah, no, I'd say as well with COP26 coming up as well, it's very easy for, and the climate bill's currently coming out, it's very easy for other yeah. things to get overshadowed, especially bill. on such like a local level as well. The climate bills are ridiculous. I mean, if you were to bring a climate bill in Northern Ireland, if you did nothing else, your first and foremost thing would be to ban petroleum licensing. Yeah, right? you would think you'd find um, that would the, be the quite biggest, The to biggest it. climate offender. Mm -hmm. but, but neither climate bill will do that. And even the Green Party, you know, where is the, their petroleum? Forget about fracking, right? They're going to, in England, they're fracking with acid, right? Forget about the actual term. Mm -hmm. You just need to ban petroleum licensing. Right? Don't go down that rabbit hole because a, a, a fracking ban will not stop them getting a license and a fracking ban will not stop exploration. Right? So you really need to, we need to wake up here. That, that policy is coming before us. So whenever the, we, we know this industry, we've been, we've been in court several times, we've been fighting them for a long time. They're getting very clever about what they need when they go into court. What they need when they go into court is the government policy. Right, because the courts will say, well, what's the policy? Somebody's trying to refuse you? Somebody's trying to stop you? Straight back oh, policy. what's the policy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, there you go. It's coming into the executive within the next 10 weeks next when 10 everybody's weeks. very, very busy, very distracted. Mm -hmm. So we urgently need, and the only people really now we believe can stop it is Michelle O'Neill. We, we're asking for meetings, everything with that, demanding meetings, Mary Lou, everybody. We can't even get those meetings. They're not even listening mm. to what the health impacts are going to be to this community. Um, and so it's not just about climate change and of course the vulnerable communities who you're going to, you're, Northern Ireland's going to be contributing to the homelessness, the fires, the flooding, the famine, the desperation by having an onshore oil and gas industry. Yeah. So wake up people and get on to Sinn Féin and get this stopped. Brilliant, yeah, no thank you for that. No, it's definitely, it's not, not something that I would have been aware of. Um, but. That, honestly that's been brilliant thank you very much for that and hopefully um we'll get some success in that over the next 10 weeks even just bringing it forward to people's attention because i feel like that's a lot of it is getting on the agenda or off the agenda as it might yeah. be people um, people need the knowledge that's the first thing people need to know and understand but unfortunately we don't have time we need action now so we need a really strong levy i see your badge from queen's university yeah. there Get Queen's University, they've got to be people who are aware and everything that, get a massive lobby, get in front of Michelle O'Neill as a matter of urgency, and I'm talking like within the next couple of weeks, mm -hmm. demand an appointment with her. I will come and tell you all what exactly is happening, but look it up, application PLA forward slash 16. There you are, petroleum license um, right across that area of Northern Ireland, and it's there, application validated while the assembly was actually not functioning here yeah madness yeah thank you very much anyways for that um i really appreciate it and good luck anyways over the next few weeks <laughs>
So there is a handful of councillors and MLAs from Northern Ireland's political parties to turn up on the day, including Alliance, um, SDLP, the Green Party, uh, Claire Bailey was there speaking, and Jerry Carl of People Before Profit, who I later got speaking to, along with his recognisable bike that accompanies him. Um, so I talked to Jerry Carl about the climate bills going through Stormont at the minute and about the day in general. Um, so we're here at the climate protest down um, at Belfast and we're here. Um, do you want to introduce yourself again? Yeah, yeah. Ger- I'm Jerry Carl, uh, MLA for People Before Profit in West Belfast and delighted to be here. Lovely. And what do you think of it today? I think it's great. Um, I think it's... Um, they're going to do this for the next few weeks, I think. Um, again, they run up to and I think after COP26, which is important. Obviously, it's been a difficult year for your own people in many regards with COVID, a year and a half it's been difficult um, but this is obviously them kind of re, uh, re-emerging if you will uh, when things are a bit easier to organise um, so hopefully um, they can play a, an important role in getting thousands and tens of thousands of young people out in the streets of Belfast and run up the top 26 so there's going to be I think I hope uh, there will be sorry there will be demonstrations in, in, uh, in this city and across the north and the south as well so I think we need to have they run up the COP26, you know, many, many people in the streets of Ireland, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, that should be our target. Um, because governments have known about this for decades, they've known about climate change, uh, they've ignored uh, the warnings of young people here, and uh, everybody's interested in protecting the environment, and also developing other policies, which has seen climate change emissions spiral. Uh, so this is the only hope we have, is people here, and people here not here, but who support this campaign being active and, and organised. Brilliant, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. It's nice to see everyone out. Um, and say, um, on, I guess, more Northern Ireland basis, how does your party, and how would you feel about, um, I guess, there's two conflicting climate bills at the minute. Um, so how are you feeling about those? Yeah, well, uh, it's a bit like buses, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, another uh, minister in the last year said that it's impossible to have any any bills in a mm-hmm. short mandate, and uh, here's two. I mean, obviously, I was a co-sponsor of the of the bill uh, being brought forward by Corbyn uh, and the main, but other parties mm-hmm. supporting it. So I'm, I'm biased if you will towards that yeah. because it's. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll be honest; it's not everything in it that I, that I or our party would like, and there's. Mm-hmm. It could be um, have other stuff in it, but compared to the, the bill being brought by the minister, it's it's a maze ahead. Yeah. It has targets in it. The minister's bill doesn't have targets in it. Uh, the minister's bill is is quite weak. Uh, we're due to talk about it uh, in a few days in Stormont, uh, so we'll, I'll I'll kind of criticise it a bit, <laughs> a, bit more, a bit more robustly. Um, but yeah, I think he's only been he's been spooked uh, to bring this bill forward. Mm-hmm. He had no intention, in my opinion, of, of doing that until he saw a bill being brought forward. Uh, and I hope I said I spoke to the people here a short time ago, and I said I, I obviously want to see this bill go go through and go forward. Um, but ultimately, you know, I have no faith in executive to actually implement the targets because mm-hmm. um, the many strategies have they agreed or have they published and they've done nothing with them you know take your pick um, so the key thing that's going to make this um, safer planet you know, stop emissions reduce emissions will be uh, these people haranguing politicians uh, if they you know, backtrack or came into the corporate uh, profiteering interests definitely no it's nice to see you down and have your support as well today thank you um, I think that means a lot to people around here as well um, but no yeah good to know that you think that um, if we keep ranking them on it anyways <laughs> hold people accountable for Absolutely, it yeah, yeah. yeah no that's brilliant um, yeah thank you very thank much you, that's you. brilliant lovely that's 
So the last of the quick interviews, I had a quick chat with two of the attendees there. Um, Andrav, who spoke as a representative of youth in school, making a brilliant speech during um during the addresses and Rosie Skillen, who was actually on last week's episode talking about um, art and climate and environment. So here's what they had to say about the day. The fact that so many people gave up their time to yours today to do this is so important. And I think, yeah, just showing up physically in the space for the people passing by to listen to, it's yeah, really valuable. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I would say that like striking right now is more important than ever because with COP26 around the corner with like the climate bill um, being discussed in assembly and like all these political tensions sort of right now uh, we really need to show that young people want to see this at the top of the political agenda and just in general to be as you say like caring about this as a collective and that this issue is going to affect all of us and it's already like we've already seen the impact as I said in my speech earlier of um, climate change around the world with heat waves and drought and that's so so scary to see at 1.2 degrees of warming um, never mind three or four like that's what we're projected so it's yeah. really important. I know, no, I would agree completely. And no, your speech earlier was brilliant as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's so nice. There's like people of all different ages down. Um, and I think that's also really important because yeah. it's like that question of intergenerational collaboration. Exactly. Because obviously, 100%. we're two young people. You're younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, obviously, older people have decades of knowledge and expertise and experience to bring as well. And then young people have this energy and this enthusiasm. And they're really like pushing the boundaries of what is possible. So we're like pushing the boundaries of business as usual. Um, quote unquote. So I think it's really beautiful to see people working together from all generations, from like Generation Z to baby boomers. Yeah, no, definitely. It's been lovely. It's been really nice um, to come down and see everyone. But yeah, that's been brilliant.